Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in the Bible. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. We pray that now by your spirit, you would speak to us through this word. Would you draw our hearts towards you? Would you fix our eyes on your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ? And would we come afresh in worship to him? Not only now, but in the days ahead, would our lives be lives of worship to our great King? Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified here at Cornerstone and, and in each of our lives as we go about our business. Would he be lifted high in everything that we do? For his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in just 20 days' time, on the 6th of May, King Charles will make his way from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey for his coronation. It will be a scene of, of marvellous pageantry. There'll be trumpets and horses and gold and jewels. And there'll be a carriage. And the question this week, I, I don't know if you saw it, but, but the question has been, which carriage? You see, one option is this, the gold state coach, once described as a crown on wheels. The only problem is, it is apparently terribly uncomfortable. Charles's mother, Queen Elizabeth II, used it for her coronation and described her ride as horrible. More than 100 years before that, William IV reckoned that it felt like being in a ship on a rough sea. And so instead, King Charles will make the journey in this, the Diamond Jubilee state coach. Now, this carriage has electric windows and air conditioning and, crucially, hydraulic suspension, meaning a much smoother, more comfortable ride, surely more appropriate for a king on his way to his moment of glory. And in our passage from Isaiah today, uh, we would be right to expect a king, a king in all his glory. Verse 1, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, throughout Isaiah and indeed throughout the whole Old Testament, the arm of the Lord is the symbol of God's power his strength, his judgment, and his salvation. Take Isaiah 40, for instance. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. And now in Isaiah 53, well, now the arm of the Lord is about to be revealed. God's great plan of salvation is about to be made known. If ever we expected a trumpet fanfare, a, a procession, a glorious golden carriage, well, it's now. 
God's chosen king is on his way to his moment of glory. So let's read on. Verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. This is the arm of the Lord. The contrast couldn't be greater. Where we might expect a show of strength, a military procession, instead we get a weak and fragile shoot. Where we might expect glitz and glamour, jewels and riches, instead we get no beauty, no majesty, nothing to attract us. And where we might expect comfort and luxury for the coming king, instead, he was despised, rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people, from whom people hide their faces. You know, if you've grown up with these famous words, if you know this passage well, then I realize this may not hit you with its full force today. But these are strange words. This is an alien concept for us. Everything we think we know about power and might and, and glory and status is being turned on its head. Centuries after Isaiah first spoke these words, the Apostle Philip would meet an Ethiopian official who was reading part of our passage today. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? This is, is a baffling passage. And yet it gets to the very core of the good news of Jesus Christ. The very heart of what our glorious, mighty, sovereign God is doing in this world. And so for the next three weeks here at Cornerstone, we're going to consider this king. This weak and unattractive king. This despised and rejected king. And we're going to marvel that this is what the arm of the Lord looks like. So morning and, and evening, uh, for six sermons for the next three weeks, we'll be dwelling on the events of Christmas and Easter. That God's king should, should come to us. That he should die for us. That he should give his all for us. If you don't normally come to the 7 p.m. service, please consider coming along for the next three weeks so that you can enjoy the, the richness of all that we'll be hearing from the Scriptures. 
Or if you can't make it in the evenings, well then, at least take some time during the week to catch up on the sermons that you've missed online. As we go through the series, we will begin to think about how we might respond to what we see of Christ. What it might look like for us to live under this King. How we might follow him. How we might live under his rule in this, his world. And that's what this little book that you've got on your seats is all about. But more of that later. Because for now, today, I simply want us to consider him. To marvel at his sacrifice. To see his glory. And to worship the king who gave his all for us. Let's carry on reading from verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I wonder, did you notice the the repeated pattern? He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Do you see? He for us, ours on him. At the very center of of the Lord's action in this world. At the core of this revelation of the arm of the Lord is the idea of substitution. One who would stand in the place of another. One who would bear the pain, the punishment that belonged to another. It is the most astonishing act of self-giving love. To take on the the guilt and shame, the dishonor and indignity of another. To bear them in their place, to, to suffer so that they might not. More so that they might know peace and restoration and wholeness. And of course, today we we read these words and we know when this was fulfilled. Each Easter, we remember and recount the supreme act of self-giving love. The cross of Jesus Christ. And it bears many hours of reflection that we might sit at the foot of that cross and marvel. Marvel that, that the one upon it is not a shamed thief or an exposed terrorist is not one caught in the act 
or seen for what they truly are. No, the one upon that cross, the one to whom these words pointed, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect, righteous, good and upright man, the only one ever. And it is he who was pierced for our transgressions, he who was crushed for our iniquities. Oh, friends, we may have heard this many times, but is it not astounding? We all, each one of us, we have gone astray, turned to our own way, turned our back on the God who made us and loves us, turned our face towards self-centered comfort and run headlong into sin after sin after sin. And yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is so completely topsy-turvy, so utterly counter to everything that, that we might come up with by our own human wisdom and logic, that the king of the universe, the very one who has been wronged, the very one who, who sits in judgment might step down from his throne, might take on human flesh, might live the perfect human life and might give himself, might give his all for us. You wonder what Isaiah made of all of this. Remember these words were, were first uttered some 700 years before Christ was even born. And yet our faithful God had been preparing the ground. From the day our first parents first turned their back on God, only for him to, in his gracious mercy, kill animals in order to cover their nakedness. To that day when the, the patriarch Abraham was given a ram to sacrifice in place of his son Isaac. Through the great Passover in Egypt, the, the lamb slain in place of the firstborn. To the day of atonement as the priests confess all the wickedness and sin of the people over the head of the scapegoat before driving it out of the camp. All through the history of God's people, he had been seeding the idea of substitution, of guilt transferred, of righteousness Given, not earned. Seeding that plan that one day would come to a glorious climax in the substitutionary death of the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, the King who gave his all for us. Oh, what a beautiful gift. And how did this gift take place? How was this substitution affected? Well, let's read on, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You know, there'll be a a moment on the 6th of May, a moment that has occurred in every British coronation for almost 400 years, a moment when all the pomp and ceremony will come to a climax as the new king is anointed by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And to accompany that moment, Handel's piece, Zadok the Priest, will be heard all round Westminster Abbey. The piece was written especially for the anointing of King George II. And if you know the music, you'll know that it builds to a a magnificent sound. An orchestra with, with extra violins and trumpets A choir belting out the words, God save the king, may the king live forever. It will be a wall of sound. An auditory proclamation of joy and and majesty and celebration. That is the sound that King Charles will hear as he ascends to his throne. But it was not the sound King Jesus heard as he took his place of glory. That first Good Friday was indeed a riot of noise. But not the fanfare of trumpets. Not the joyful singing of loyal subjects. Rather the crowd baying for blood. The threats and the hatred spewed out by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. The dull thud as the nails were driven home. And then the insults, the jeers, the mocking sneers. But in the midst of all that noise, there were two deafening silences. Who, Isaiah asks, who of his generation protested? As the king of kings was whipped and beaten, mocked and scorned, no one came to his defense. No one spoke up. And the king himself, he too was silent. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Why? Why did he not speak out? Why did he not defend himself? Proclaim his own innocence, decry the injustice that was being done, call down judgment on those who wanted him dead. He would have been right if he had. He would have been speaking the truth. And yet he didn't. Because like that sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ went willingly to his death. 
Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the King of kings, willingly laid down his life for us. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, back at the end of Isaiah chapter 52, there is an introduction to this section that we didn't read earlier. But it begins with these words. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And here at the end of chapter 53, we see that happen. But of course, there's a a beautiful double meaning to that phrase, lifted up. Jesus himself uses it a few times in in John's gospel. And it's clear there that he's referring to his crucifixion. This is the moment of Jesus' glory. This is where the king of kings takes his place and receives his crown. At the cross. The Roman soldiers would have had to physically lift him up, but as they did so, so he was lifted up to the place of glory, to the place of his exaltation. Verse 12 shows us that as the Lord's servant receives his reward, as he takes his place, as he divides the spoils of the conqueror amongst his people, why are we told that he has been exalted? Why is he glorified like this? Well, because he poured out his life unto death. Because he gave his life. Because he gave his all. It is because of the cross. Because of his self-giving sacrificial substitution that Jesus Christ is high and lifted up. The cross was not an unfortunate blip. An aberration that is is best skated over. No, this is the place of glory. The cross is where we see what makes this king the king of kings. What makes him worthy of, of all honor and glory and power and praise. For all eternity, the whole company of heaven will worship Jesus Christ. Why? Because worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
we will see over the coming weeks that, that this sacrifice, this giving of himself is at the very core of what our precious saviour and king has given to us, his people. And we'll see too that it is the pattern that, that we, his people, are called to adopt, to follow our king as, as we seek to live lives of worship that honour and, and glorify him. The book that you've got on your chairs will begin to help us think through what it might look like for us to follow the king who gave his all for us. Please do take a copy away with you today. There's enough for, for one per household. And please read it. At one level, it's not a difficult book. It's only 40-odd pages long. I reckon you'll be able to get through it in less than an hour. But I will warn you, it's not a comfortable read. It might make you uneasy. It might shake you. And it might make you cross. But my prayer is that it will stir in us as a church family a fresh wonder and worship as we consider again the, the sacrifice of our dear Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And that it might stir in us a fresh zeal as we, those with whom he has graciously shared his glory, those who are the spoils of his victory, as we consider what it might look like to follow our king through the way of the cross to the ultimate crown. As Simon Gillivray says towards the end of this book, the challenge we're faced with is, as we consider the cross, as we marvel at the king who gave his all for us, is this. Where are the men and women who say no to self and take up Christ's cross and bear it? Where are those who are willing to be nailed to it at university or the office or the home or out on the mission field? Where are those who have seen the king in his beauty and count all else rubbish compared with showing others who he is. Our king is not the king of comfort, but the king of the cross. Will we follow him in that way? Will we give ourselves to the king who gave his all for us? I want to finish simply by reading our passage again and, and by giving us a few moments in silence to come to the cross of Christ and to worship. If you're not yet a Christian, please take this time to consider what God has been saying through his word today. And please give your life to the only one worthy of it. The king who gave his all for us. And if you are a believer, then why not take this opportunity to commit yourself afresh, to give yourself again to the service of our great King. Come and worship 
the king who gave his all for us. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.